0: Hey guys, just a quick heads up about this week's episode. Few audio issues on our guest side. Massive attack of the squeaky chair syndrome. Hope it doesn't put you off too much and I hope you learnt as much as I did this week. This
1: is Such Fun. A podcast devoted to the discussion, education, and celebration of all things fisting. Whether you're a curious newbie or an elbow deep connoisseur, this podcast is for you. I'm artist Big Buck Geek, and I'm blogger Jasmine Let's get to it. Let's have such fun. Such fun. Such fun. Such fun. Such fun. Such fun. Such fun, such fun, such Welcome back to Such Fun. You're with Jasmine Taz. My co-host today is Missing. And that is a fantastic thing because I'm having a nice, intimate, one-on-one interview with a doctor. Our very anonymous doctor for obvious reasons, I'm sure. And we want to talk about all of the medical things associated with fisting. All of the questions that you have had along the way that Big Butt Geek and I of course can't answer effectively. For me it's a, a special moment because I've had all these questions going through my my mind all these years and I feel like finally I get to sit down with somebody who knows what he's talking about. So without further ado, welcome. Thank you. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, your history, some details about uh, your profession and where you come from?
0: Yes, yeah, so I live up in the north of England um... I am a GI surgeon by trade. Tell us what GI is. Uh, gastrointestinal. Perfect. Guts, guts. Guts, all of the guts. <laughs> yeah. What else? Uh, so I'm in my mid mid 40s, unfortunately. Um, and I've probably been involved in fisting on and off for about 20 years. Okay. Well so in the last five years.
1: Okay, okay. And are you top and bottom?
0: Yeah, completely
1: versatile. Lovely, same, best way to be. Absolutely. <laughs> Shed a lot. Exactly. Very nice. Okay. So you've been fisting over 20 years
0: and how long have you been a, a surgeon? Oh, well, I started university in the late 90s, uh, finished 2003. I've been working in surgery a lot of ever since then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as a
1: GI surgeon, does that mean you encounter a lot of fisting accidents, let's say, or, or instances at, at work where, where you are dealing with people
0: who have been fisting? Uh, it's not that common, to be fair. Maybe more so if you live in some of the bigger cities like London and Manchester. I don't. But it happens from time to time. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, they stick in everyone's memory. They're always a source of gossip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: sure they do. Oh, yes. Exactly. I'm sure you get a lot of, uh, a lot of horror stories coming from colleagues uh, about this very thing. Yeah. yeah, and very nice. I've got a bunch of questions. I wanted to actually start with a PMI, so plus minus interesting. And so, so when it comes to fisting and everything you know about it, what would you say are like one plus, one minus, one interesting that can get the ball rolling today? Specifically, like what's the most fantastic thing you know medically about
0: fisting? Oh god, oh, cranky. Um, plus, as a participant, probably the endorphin rush—the Uh-huh. The way it makes you feel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Why is that? Perhaps. Perhaps you can enlighten us a bit. What I don't know if that's that's a stupid question, but well, I think it,
0: it, it's just a sort of it's the chemical overload in your brain, isn't it? That just goes with with pleasure, with that sensation of stretching and depth. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if it works for you, then great. Which it does. <laughs> but why the ass? Why are our anuses so freaking pleasurable? I suppose that down there is, with its natural functions, is loaded with stretch receptors anyway. That's how you you know to go to the toilet. And I guess you're just exploiting that part of the nervous system mm-hmm. for, for other reasons.
1: I always wonder, how long do you think humans have been doing this for? I mean, we're not the only animals that
0: do it, obviously. No. I suspect it goes back... because. If you look at, um, stuff from the ancient Roman civilizations, there's, there's stuff about, you know, soldiers engaging in, in sex with boys because there were no women around and Mm. that was the excuse. I suspect Mm. it goes back as, as long as time.
1: Yeah. Uh, have you got a minus for us? I mean, I think, I feel like we're going to get into a few minuses today.
0: Minus, uh, (laughs) douche. (laughs) (laughs)
1: oh we're gonna get right into that
0: (laughs) yeah let's leave the Um, interesting for now but let's get into the douching tell us tell us some stuff okay i don't think there's a magic solution there's a douching that works for everybody it can take forever i don't think if you're asking as a as a doctor you know people worry does it do harm in fact douching is interestingly is is actually prescribed for some people
1: um, right, I've heard about this. Is that still a case? Is that still something that gets prescribed?
0: Yeah, so for people, so for example, people with severe neurological problems whose guts really just don't work very well, you or problems with constipation, that kind of thing, you can actually get medical douching systems that people use. Mm-hmm. They're pretty safe. I see. One of
1: the questions that came from, from some followers on Twitter is what are the risks for the gut bacteria uh, when you douche, especially over a long period of time?
0: I guess the short answer is no one really knows. Does douching alter your gut flora? It must do to some extent. Mm-hmm. Your colon is, is, is sort of rich in, in all sorts of bacteria and yeasts and fungi and what have you. There's a lot of research now about the role of gut flora in, in health and disease, so in the contribution to... All sorts from irritable bowel syndrome to cancers and diabetes and what have you. Mm. Whether douching really alters things in such a dramatic way that has an impact on that, who knows. And how strong the influence of those things is on your long-term health, again, who knows.
1: I guess it's not something you go and study, is it?
0: No, no. <laughs> if you type fisting into the medical a medical search engine, you'll get about 10 papers and they're all related to injuries.
1: Follow-up question, and I don't know how, how relevant this is really, but I heard from somebody recently that the gut bacteria in your small intestine is different to those in
0: your large intestine. Is that true? It is true, yeah. So as you move through the GI tract, the, the mix of bugs changes. So you're, you know, if you start at the top, your mouth or a pharynx is filthy. And then if you move down to your stomach, it's pretty clean. And then the further down you get more and more, bugs. But the type of bugs also vary depending on what you eat, where you live, all that kind of thing. Sure, There's So many things that affect it.
1: When it comes to douching, I mean, the, the advice I've always given people, because it's what I've noticed for myself, is you have to... finding your own way that works for you. So through trial and error, I've I've figured out what my body needs. Is there anything else to talk about around that? Are there some tried and true methods that you would... Perhaps recommend.
0: I think you have to find what works for you. I don't think there's a there's an absolute, and I think how you do should probably depends on what you're planning on doing for a start. Mm. If you start putting a liter of water at your backside, then you know you're going to get water stuck and all these things. I, I don't know. I it's taken me years to work out what works for me, and even even now, I'm not sure I really know. <laughs> <laughs> if if I had the magic answer, I think I'd be very rich. <laughs>
1: I've got to say it's nice to hear that from <laughs> from a doctor because it makes us all feel a little bit better I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. That maybe we don't know all the you know the exact way to to get it all done. So let's go a little bit further. Uh we just mentioned irritable bowel syndrome and mm-hmm. in our pre-interview talk we we uh, discussed that a little bit as well. Yeah. And you mentioned that irritable bowel syndrome is a very general diagnosis, let's say. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that and what, what people might be able to to do around that.
0: Irritable bowel syndrome kind of covers a whole range of what are termed functional bowel disorders. And they can present in so many ways. So you can get irritable bowel syndrome that's predominantly has diarrhea as a symptom, predominantly has constipation as a symptom, and is mixed. When we talk about functional, what that means is that there isn't an obvious structural abnormality with the bowel. It seems to work normally. But... There's something wrong in the, in the way it functions. You can't discern anything physically wrong with it, but it's not functioning properly. You know, the, the the way to manage that is going to vary depending on what your symptoms are. So if you're someone who gets lots of um, diarrheal symptoms, maybe things that slow the gut down or fibre. Whereas if you get more constipation, the opposite is going to be true. Some people find that they get help from things that relax the muscle in the gut, reduces the symptoms. But I don't think you can give a generic answer as as to what's the right thing to do for irritable bowel syndrome. It varies so much from individual to individual. I see. Uh,
1: it reminds me that, as in fisting for everybody, um, shit happens. It does. It does. God. And if you're squeamish about that, then don't fist. Yeah, you're in the wrong game. Yeah, exactly. Beyond that, again, going back to uh, figuring out what works for you, and I'm sure with irritable bowel syndrome, it's... It's a different ballgame than for, for people without that yeah. uh, in terms of their douching and what to expect. Absolutely. And maybe sometimes you just have to go, you know what, it's just not going to work today. Mm. And that happens to everybody as well. Yeah, it does. Actually, I had a, an instance a week ago where I was trying to play on some toys. It was a, a, an evening during a, a weekday. And I wasn't particularly in the mood, but I only realized once I'd started my douching, I was like, mm, I'm actually kind of tired Uh, I've worked a lot today. I've got to work tomorrow again. Stopped my douching early, sat on a toy. It wasn't particularly clean. And I thought to myself, you know what? I don't even care. I don't need to care about this. (laughs) It's okay to stop and just look forward to the weekend. And so that's exactly what I did. I think I spent maybe two and a half minutes on this toy and packed it in. Yeah. Avoided any unnecessary extra mess. I think that's, that's the only way, right? Uh, don't get pulled down by whatever happens to go wrong.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think we've all been there. aren't we? You, you come home from work, it's 7 o'clock at night, you say, oh, I really want to play, and, and two hours of douchey late, like, so it's 9 o'clock at night, I've got to be in work at 8, no. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: I I tend to pray to the, uh, the shit fairy these days, and I'm like... <laughs> I'm not even going to try douching. Let's just, you know, like when a lot of people who are only into fucking, for me, it was in younger years before I really got into douching. I was just like, let's just pray and hope and you can stick it in and see what happens.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know, if you've been at work all day, depending on what you do, you maybe haven't drunk so much. Mm -hmm. And actually, the more dehydrated you get, the more constipated you're going to get. And that's going to have a huge impact on your ability to douche. And actually maybe... Just saying, look, just forget it. Uh Let's just hydrate and plan for another day.
1: That's a very good point. And I think that's something I don't think about enough. So if you're planning to douche, of course, therefore get fisted, make sure you hydrate throughout the day.
0: If if you're dehydrated, you're going to get constipated because one of the main functions of your colon is to reabsorb water.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So if you're dehydrated, you're just going to suck all that water out and left with big hard rocks. (laughs) Speaking of which, I'm just going to take a little drink here.
1: Let's move on to this next fairly big topic for people, at least in the Twitter community, that have been asking me questions for you. No specific question. In fact, just the theme prolapses or prolapsing. Okay. Is it healthy? Is it dangerous? What's the appeal even?
0: Is it dangerous? Normally not. Occasionally, yes. Prolapse is not that uncommon even outside the fisting community. As people get older, you see it. And there are a whole heap of surgical procedures that have been designed to fix prolapses to varying success.
1: And what are the reasons for people wanting to have it fixed or for doctors recommending it to get fixed?
0: A lot of these things happen in older people um, because they, they've, as you've got older, particularly it's more common in women, you, you lose your anal tone. Your pelvic floor. Yeah. Things fall out where they shouldn't do. And it's distressing for a lot of people. They don't like it. And it can be associated with, in that group, incontinence and various things. So it's... They want it sorted. Mm. Switching it back to the to fisting. Personally, I think it looks quite nice. I think it looks quite nice too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not for everybody. Um, I think in general, does it do harm? No. Very occasionally, prolapses can cause you problems. They can get stuck out and that kind of thing. But that's pretty mm-hmm. uncommon.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of um, some porn that I've watched before of Timmy Pighole and. His comes out and sometimes it, it, it looks like the top's kind of trying to figure out a way to get it back in and it's just it can take a while and when I yeah. find the right angle then it just goes plop back in. Exactly. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm familiar with that idea of it kind of getting stuck outside. So if you are a fistula who develops a prolapse whether by accident perhaps or not would you say that it's generally not going to be a problem and it's not something that you need to tell your doctor about or would would it be something you should go and check
0: it, it depends if it's causing you problems or not i guess mm-hmm. or if it worries you is it likely to do you any harm no i don't think you necessarily need to speak to your doctor unless unless you're worried about it mm-hmm. for whatever reason if you find it if it's painful or if it's sore or it's not going back then yeah, yeah absolutely you must. Mm-hmm. Okay then a bit of a follow-up to that incontinence.
1: Now this is something that people have been asking me about for years and I have no idea.
0: So is fisting and incontinence related? Uh, that's a good question and I think it's probably a really difficult one to pick out. Your continence is controlled by your anal sphinxes and as you get older the tone in those anal sphinxes decreases a bit. There have been a couple of really rubbish studies, really poor quality studies done quite a while ago now that looked at whether anal sex was associated with a reduction in pressure in those sphincters. It's just standard anal sex. And certainly they both report a lower anal resting pressure. So the amount of pressure in the muscle just at rest is lower in people. But whether that's true or whether that's just because In that group of people, your anal sphincter just happens to relax when you see someone come at it with a probe to shove up it. Who knows? Mm. There was a study, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was basically a series of several thousand people in the US and they were asked sexual health questionnaires or sexual behaviour questionnaires. And they reported that men and women, but men who had anal sex, reported higher levels of incontinence. However, the definition of incontinence was probably a bit dubious. The absolute numbers were really quite small okay. and the statistical significance wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. So again, whether that's really true or not, hard to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I suppose, is it conceivable that fisting lowers your anal pressures with time? Yeah, possibly a bit. Will that alone make you incontinent? Personally, I doubt it, but I think it's hard to know for, for sure. But could it be one of many things that contribute with time? Yeah, possibly. I see. But do all people who fist become incontinent? Absolutely not. No. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm gonna. I'm gonna just list two examples from from people that I've spoken to. One was an older guy in his seventies. Mm-hmm. Well, he said, "I've been fisting for whatever fifty years or something, and in recent times I've become incontinent, and I'm worried about whether it it's from my fisting." And I thought to myself, "Well, if he is." an older guy, then surely that is quite a normal thing to happen in your later years.
0: Yeah, it happens to a proportion of people. It's far from common just because you're over 70 that you're incontinent, but there are people, it is more common as you get older. And there are so many things that will affect it. So whether you have other diseases that might affect your ability to control muscles, um, whether you've had previous surgery or just your general anal tone anyway, but varies across the community, you know, so many things will affect it. Worrying about whether or not it's been caused by fisting in some ways is almost a bit too late because whether it was or it wasn't, it is what it is. Sure. The other one was
1: a younger guy who mentioned that in the days following his fisting, he found he, he had some incontinence. I've definitely experienced this myself as well, specifically in the day afterwards. Mm. Thankfully, during the day afterwards, there's normally not that much shit to come out. It's mostly just lube falling out of me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I would say that is
0: quite common. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. We've all been there. Well, I've Mm. been there. I mean, you've just stretched everything so much, especially if you've been playing for a long time. It's like any muscle. It takes time to recover. Yeah. I've got this... uh, There's one memory where it was one of the first times I ever got
1: fisted and I I was visiting Berlin where I now live Mm -hmm. and I'd been kicked out of this guy's house after our date. Um, It was a lovely date. I'd I'd gone out into the city thinking, okay, well, I don't have anywhere to stay. Um, He's gone to sleep Um, and I've got, I don't know, another few hours before I need to be anywhere else. Um, And so I just thought I'd go to the shopping district and Mm -hmm. have a good time in the sun and everything. And then on my way there, suddenly I had... This emergency where my arse was just like wanting to push absolutely everything out. And, you know, in those instances, it feels quite painful. It's like you can't not think about it, you can't stop it. Yeah. And so I ran to the Axel Hotel, which is one of the gay hotels in the city. And, and I dashed all the way up to the swimming pool floor where they had a public toilet, essentially. And I sat on that toilet and I just pushed and pushed and pushed involuntarily for like what seemed like half an hour. <laughs> that was my first <laughs> first experience no. with uh, post fisting incontinence, I guess you
0: could say. Yeah. <laughs> it will happen, won't it? And I think you just have to be prepared for that and plan for it. Yeah. And it's probably not wise to have a heavy night of fisting and then expect to go to your sister's wedding at nine o'clock the next morning <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. You know, you just have to think about it, don't you? Does fisting help or hinder
1: the development of cancer and other illnesses in the gut?
0: I suspect it probably makes little difference, is the honest answer. I don't think there's any evidence that it, it does or it doesn't. Sure, you can have issues from trauma and, and mechanical injury. Again, going back to that thing of douching and gut flora, whether that has a long-term effect on your health, I think the jury's probably out.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: I don't know. I, th- I don't think anyone knows.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I, I am aware of is if it comes to finding polyps or something in the gut, your fist partner can help you detect them early. Absolutely. By having a good feel around.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if they tell you they feel, felt something, go and get it checked out. So there's one clear benefit there.
1: Yeah. As a follow-up to that question, can fisting be dangerous for the anatomy? So I think specifically about when I go up quite deep and I fist somebody beyond their um, their sigmoid colon, through their descending colon and then i get to this this area that's very unclear Mm -hmm. and every time i've looked online and looked at the anatomy at diagrams i've thought holy shit that looks fairly potentially unsafe for somebody who doesn't know where he's supposed to go what do you think about that
0: there are clear dangers the further you go if you're just fisting shallow and and for width and staying in the rectum, the chances of causing a major problem are relatively low. The rectum's a fairly fixed thing. And then the first problem you, as you say, you encounter is going into the, the sigmoid colon. And the sigmoid colon's a hugely variable beast. Its anatomy differs in everybody. I've noticed that. Yeah. Most bits of the colon are fixed. So your descending colon is fixed. Your ascending colon, on the right side is fixed. And then there's two bits that wobble about the transverse colon across the top. And a sigmoid colon. And some people have a really short, relatively fixed sigmoid colon. And some people have this massive, great, big, redundant thing that flops about all over the place. So you know that that's where you need to be careful getting into that. And of course, once you get above the rectum into the sigmoid into the colon, that's where if you have a problem, it's going to have potentially much more impact. If you, God forbid, were to have you know, perforation anywhere is bad. But if you're to have a perforation in The rectum, the rectum is not in what we call the peritoneal cavity. It's separate, whereas above there, the colon is within the peritoneal cavity. So any infection is not necessarily going to be contained and you can get really very sick very quickly. So, you know, you do need to be careful. Yeah, you get around the sigmoid, descending colon is relatively fixed. I do wonder how, how many people who say they got to the splenic flexure have genuinely got to the splenic flexure right (laughs) because it because it is probably depending on how big you are somewhere between 80 and 100 centimeters from your anus right so it is it's a long way Uh again that anatomy can be very variable for some people it's just a simple 90 degree turn for other people this descending can go go really high okay and then the transverse colon drop off sort of almost at an acute angle from that so you're almost talking about an angle of hundreds of 40, 150 degrees. It's, I think you're doing, you're doing well to get around there, but, but those are the places that you are going to get problems. Even with medical procedure endoscopies, they're the difficult areas where you can get issues. Mm-hmm. And that's when you do something where you can see exactly what you're doing and what, where you're going.
1: I'm going to rethink then, uh, as to whether I've actually gotten to the splenic flexure in somebody or not, because. <laughs> I, every time I, I do look at, as I said, online and looking at the anatomy, it's just like, but I shouldn't be there yet. No. And of course, not being able, yeah, being blind while you're doing it, yeah, it's a bit of a gamble. And you feel like you you've reached a closure, uh, an aperture, or something. Yeah, there could potentially be all sorts of areas
0: within the descending colon that feel like that. I'm sure some people do get there, but I don't think it's somewhere that the average up to your shoulder. The average person's not going to be getting there. Mm-hmm. When it comes to me
1: bottoming and taking something deep inside me, it certainly feels like the hand reaches a point where it doesn't have anywhere else to go. And so I just, I've always assumed, okay, I must already be in the descending colon. It must already be up there. I'm not a tall guy. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I've always given up. I've just been like, well, the rest is, is uh, Olympic territory. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe that deserves some
0: reconsidering. I'll see yeah,
1: that, <laughs> that sounds like fun,
0: actually. As long as it feels safe, carry on. Go for it. It's about trust as it? no, no, It's taking it slowly and and who you're doing it with and accepting the risk. You have to embrace the risk. Mm. There is inevitably a risk in the view. It is what it is. There's a book I've read called Trust
1: uh, by an American author written back in 1991. Bert Herman, I think his name is. Yeah. Yeah, the book is called Trust. And of course, it focuses primarily on that and that only through trusting your partner can you can you achieve such extreme things. Mm-hmm. And of course, that that transforms the feeling into. Of course, I can I can go there and see how it goes, and I'm willing to accept the risk involved because I trust this person and I trust this feeling, um, and I know my body in a certain sense. In that regard, let's take it to drugs. Yeah, and I know this is a this is a pretty uh, we want to tread lightly in this area. What do you know of drug use in the fisting community and perhaps its its influence on the body's ability to take extreme things?
0: Yeah, um, I think it is It's cert- certainly a, a, a section of the fisting community where it is relatively prevalent. I think the problem is it doesn't necessarily alter you, the ability of your body to take certain things. It alters your perception of your body to take certain things. And I think that's where the, the problem lies in terms of injuries and things it's that you you have this altered perception of reality your sensation of pain is less is is altered and your natural sort of self-control ability to step back is gone and i think that's where the problem with drugs and injuries and all the rest of it comes in that's completely aside from all the other health problems that chems can bring
1: Mm. are there any specific drugs that you know of or you've come across that are more likely to lead to injury.
0: I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm no expert on drugs, but the the common drugs that are associated with chemsex are well, uh, methamphetamine, Tino you know, crystal meth, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. GHB and methadrone. Mm-hmm. So you put methamphetamine, methadone together. They're both stimulants. They they, they both get alter your perception, your your desire to take things like affection. The way they alter your brain chemistry is going to alter your perception of pain. Ketamine, for example, like its primary medical use is either as a painkiller or an anaesthetic. Mm-hmm. So, yes, completely alters your perception of pain. I yeah. don't know what the other common chems, but you know, they're all going to alter that perceived threat and increase your desire. Otherwise, why you know, Why people use them?
1: Well, yeah, you've listed the ones that I'm familiar with. Yeah, beyond that, I think... Uh I'm just a prolific prolific pot smoker myself. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll do me most of the time. Tell me actually about poppers.
0: They're a nitrate, aren't they? So they come in various forms, but effectively they work as a smooth muscle relaxant, So, which is why they relax your internal sphincter, which is a smooth muscle. And then they will have a he will heap of secondary effects. So they, they will lower your blood pressure. Basically, like they'll put your heart rate up. I'm sure people have been there before. You take poppers in a hot room and the next thing you know, you're on the floor. Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, I, i i'm very seldomly at risk of of getting addicted to any kind of drug but poppers has been the one that i think throughout my fisting career i've taken way too much of and these days i try to take less yeah like less in a session and less frequently generally um there was a period where i was probably taking poppers every day even just to to have a wank with some porn or something and these days it's like during a session i'll take it and otherwise i won't but still during a session it'll be like i'm actually fine not to take it in the beginning and then as soon as i start to take it i want to take more and more and more and more yeah in your experience is this quite prevalent in the fisting community that that people are super into their
0: poppers i think it is yeah certainly most people i come across yeah it's very rare you meet somebody who plays who doesn't use poppers Mm -hmm. i'm not sure there's A huge amount of good evidence for long-term harm from poppers. There are reported impacts on visual problems and that kind of thing. The real danger, I guess, with poppers is the impact it has on your cardiovascular system. Mm -hmm. If you're somebody who's already got a bit of ischemic heart disease, so problems with blood flow to your heart, and then you drop your blood pressure, that's going to have a potentially huge effect. Similarly, if you're somebody who blood flow to the brain is a bit dodgy and you drop your blood pressure. Mm. that might really have a serious impact. Using poppers with other things that will have a similar effect, you know, Viagra. Being the obvious one. Yeah. yeah. But other prescribed medications, so again, if you've got ischemic heart disease, you may even already be on long-term nitrates, mm-hmm. and then you stick poppers on top of that, and then you can have a really quite dramatic impact on your blood pressure. Yeah. So I think you just have to be really careful and aware of what your situation is and what's right for you. It, it is prevalent, and I suspect the evidence for long-term harm is probably not pretty low. Interestingly, when they banned a few years ago, didn't they? They banned a whole variety of things like methadone and what have you. Mm. And poppers was initially on the list. Mm-hmm. And then several MPs owned up to using poppers and it came off the list. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it takes.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least in Australia, there was a bit of a campaign around that as well. Yeah. yeah a lot of gay men stood up and were like, well, this is a homophobic uh, agenda to be banning poppers. Yeah, and I don't know what the verdict was in Australia, but uh, but certainly in the EU, I know that they they've banned one of the nitrates for uh, for reasons of um, of blindness of yeah the the impaired vision. Yeah, I've noticed so many people that seem to be connoisseurs about poppers, and so they're like, are we? I take the isobutyl and not the isopropyl and all that. And that's that's the better one. And that's the one with the better smell. And And you have all these companies marketing their their stuff in all sorts of different ways, saying that they're unique. And you wonder how much of it is actually relevant or real.
0: I, I think a lot of it is like, you know, if you, you, you go to the supermarket and you've got a headache, you find supermarket home brand paracetamol for a few pence and you find for a few pounds the really fancy packaged... Trade, trade name with the arrow that hits the middle of the pain and you buy that one because it's going to work better. The drug's exactly the same. You might as well buy the 60p one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I've noticed there is a lot of stuff around people that's saying for using ethyl chloride. Oh, yes. And people talk about that as poppers. It is not. It's not. It's a completely different thing. And it's far more dangerous, correct? It's really, it's really dangerous. Ethyl chloride was uh, an anesthetic drug. You know, you, you take too much, you're going to be asleep. You have to be really careful with it well i would say i would say don't use it
1: right this is another thing that I've, I've seen through my decade of fisting uh it's certainly been at some fisting parties they have uh you'll come across brands like maximum impact yeah there's this one called dr hennings ice spray or something like that mm-hmm. it's always it's always a spray and you spray it into a cloth and then you breathe it in yeah and i've tried it a number of times and I think after the last time I tried it which was also coincidentally the first time that it actually had a positive effect um, I went and did more extensive reading about it and decided to never try it again
0: effectively what you're doing is potentially giving yourself an uncontrolled general anaesthetic that's not a great idea it's not look what happened to Michael Jackson is that something that happened to Michael Jackson is that it wasn't ethyl chloride but he had a he had an uncontrolled general so the drug he died propovol propovol is a general anaesthetic drug really that's what he died from aha
1: I had no idea about that I must confess, the the last time I did try it, it was an unexpectedly strong and effective high during fisting. But mm-hmm. there's a, there's a website I found more recently, and I wanted to write a blog entry about it, of people's recounts of their terrible experiences with it and knowing people having, having best friends and husbands die from taking this. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, very serious. If you're thinking, well, why don't I just stick to poppers? That would be a great idea, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: I am writing currently writing a blog article about it. Look out for it. I'm going to be listing a heap of information in there once I've once I've done some more research. If you, dear listener, are interested, stay tuned. Okay, I want to get onto whole care and associated with trauma. Like we could probably determine fisting to be, especially like punch fisting to be trauma for the whole. Mm-hmm. What are your recommendations in terms of caring for your whole? in order to avoid things like, uh, or, or treat things like fissures, fistulas, which perhaps you could give us a definition about as well, um, and hemorrhoids.
0: I suppose the first thing is to try and stop it happening in the first place, because in a lot of ways, once it's there, it's there. Try not to have eyes bigger than your hole, which we're all guilty of. <laughs> you know, be realistic, build up to things. You come across people who fist me, you know, really f- you fist me, and then you finally you speak to them and they've never taken anything but a penis before, and you like, well, this is not going to happen. Mm. You just try and ram something in there, you're going to get injuries. So lots of stretching, toys, that kind of thing, whatever works for you. In terms of after playing, I think, you know, if you've got a fissure, which is just a a tear in the skin, it just needs to heal. You just need to leave it alone. People use various over-the-counter creams, which they're fine. They'll take away some swelling or inflammation or what have you. Personally, I would say try and avoid creams that have got steroid in them. Steroid containing creams are great for hemorrhoids, but they're not going to be so great for fissures because they'll stop wounds healing. Okay, It's going to be swollen and painful. A fissure is a tear it needs to heal, and steroids stop stop healing. So probably not mm-hmm. not a great idea to put steroid on. And I think if things are painful, they're not getting better, you need to go and see somebody. Mm. And not all fissures do heal. Sometimes you need to have things done about them. Fissures and fistulas are two completely different things. A fistula is a the medical definition is... An abnormal tract between two epithelial line surfaces. But effectively, that's most commonly a complication of, of abscesses and other complex problems in, in the anorectum. I struggle to see how it's gonna happen directly as a consequence of fisting. Okay. But if you get a secondary infection, get an abscess, or if you've got underlying problems, so you know, fistulas are quite common with conditions like Crohn's disease, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. then yeah, sure it might be an issue. But I think that's something that's really quite specialized and not not particularly associated with fisting
1: yeah yeah um, yeah for a long time the just the word <laughs> made me think of fisting. I was like fisher fisting there must be something associated yeah <laughs> okay. So I mean it seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? When you are broken, leave it alone
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to summarize what you're told. Yeah. Um, potentially uh, find a, a, a cream that suits potentially go and see your doctor to, to find the right treatment. Yeah. And of course, before you get into such issues in the first place, stretch yourself out reasonably. Be sensible. Be sensible. Of yeah, course.
0: it is. It's just common sense. It's just look after yourself. You wouldn't go to the gym and look at, you know, 100 kilogram weight to go, and you've not been to a gym for five years and go, I can pick that up. Exactly.
1: Start small. Yeah. What is your opinion about hepatitis C and glove use?
0: So for sure, in terms of sexual activities associated with hep C, it's most strongly associated with fisting, both for the top and for the bottom, because you do inevitably get tears. There is sometimes a little bit of blood around, that kind of thing. To be safe, you should wear a glove. Mm-hmm. So there's no, get, no getting away from that. There's no point pretending we live in an in ideal world and people sometimes don't wear gloves. Mm-hmm. Then you have to be conscious of what you're doing and what your risks are mm-hmm. and you need to make sure you're getting tested because hep C more often than not is treatable but only if you find it sure the best way of avoiding it is to is to wear a glove
1: mm-hmm. would you liken it to wearing a i mean pre the age of prep of course wearing a condom for fucking versus not yeah
0: absolutely because it's exactly the same thing you're trying to prevent transmission of an infection you're you're exposing yourself to, to things there is a risk of relatively small risk of HIV transmission as well and all the rest of it. But I think the other thing to think about with fisting is not just the gloves, but also you know sharing of toys, sharing of lube, all these things that can get contaminated. Mm-hmm. You know, Ideally, you have separate pops, pots of lube. You don't switch between people. Mm. If you're going to share toys, you, you clean them first. Right.
1: I know that there are a lot of people who prefer to go down the line of... Um, well, first without gloves i'll just make sure i get checked regularly mm-hmm. just as you said uh getting tested regularly is uh, is essential yeah i know that i sit on the fence about this myself so i will speak about it with my partners and decide together okay are we going to use gloves are we not are you getting tested regularly am i um if you're doing that you're agreeing on something together um and you are getting tested regularly then you're in the best place to protect yourself and your partners.
0: Yeah, again, it's it's everything in life. It's risk management, isn't it? And yeah. if you want to make that risk as low as possible, the answer is gloves. Mm-hmm. And if you ask me as a doctor, well, as a doctor, I would say you should use gloves. But the reality of life is not everyone does, but then you have to have a conversation and you have to manage that risk. I'm just going to look through my list here a little bit.
1: Ah, There's two other things, actually. One is, actually, both of these have come have come from online online. Um, from people interested in in finding out. Uh, One was a very specific one, and so I've tried to make it a bit more general. He said he's donating a kidney to somebody Mm -hmm. and wants to know if this will have an impact on his bottoming as a a fist bottom. What do you think about that?
0: First of all, I think it's amazing he's donating a kidney. Good for him. Mm, Brilliant. Indeed. More people should. Any surgery in in your abdomen can potentially have an impact on how your guts are going to behave afterwards. The kidney is not in the... Peritoneal cavities at the back of your abdomen. But to get the kidney, you have to move the colon out of the way. Now, it depends which kidney you're donating because you've got two of them. You know, with fisting, you're never going to get anywhere near your right colon. So probably going to make very little difference. Mm-hmm. Left kidney, you know, potentially more so. Uh, it's certainly in the early post-op period, things were moved around and you're going to have scarring. And it may alter the way things sit and lie. Does that mean you would recommend he gets the right kidney removed? No, he has to get the, the kidney that's correct for him Ah. He listens to his doctors and he, he does the right thing. There'll be so many factors to determine which kidneys is, is deemed okay. appropriate to, to be removed, both for him and for the recipient.
1: So the fisting is kind of an afterthought?
0: I think so. You know, let, let's be honest, most operations you have because you're ill, not because you're choosing, you're a bit odd if you choose to have an operation for fun. Mm. <laughs> and sometimes those operations will will have implications, but again, the magnitude of that will, will, depend on what you've had done, how you individually respond to things. You know, some, some people have abdominal surgery and they get scar tissue everywhere, but other people get no scar tissue. It's going to depend on what operation you've had done. You know, if you've had a bit of bowel removed and joints made in bowel, that's going to have more different implications. If you've had surgery that's involved the rectum, that's clearly going to have different implications. But I think, you know, you must prioritize your health, your general health, over your sexual pleasure. Mm. There are always other ways to find sexual pleasure, ultimately, sure, even if it doesn't work for you.
1: However, I certainly know of people who, when they suddenly were no longer able to fist for, for a period of time, that that made them quite depressed.
0: Yes, but being ill also makes you more depressed. It's a trade off, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. What I said about making this question a bit more general, I, I think we've already done that. It, it applies then to all sorts of things, whether you're donating a kidney or you're having an operation for any other reason.
0: Exactly. And, you know, again, if, if it concerns you, try and have a conversation with your doctor about it, because sometimes there might be a way of doing things that minimises the impact on your sex practices or what have you. But ultimately, you the choice is always yours about what, what you have done to you. Mm. Doctors can only advise, but it's going to be about choosing between what's best for your general health and what's what impact that's going to have on other areas of your life. Okay, I have one more then, the vagus nerve. Is it
1: pronounced vagus? Vagus yeah. Uh can you tell us actually just some general information about the vagus nerve and what that is to do what that has to do with fisting?
0: So so the vagus is part of the parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system and it has control of a whole variety of things. Like your GI function, your heart rate, your blood pressure, etc.
1: When I sit on very wide butt plugs, I go a bit numb around my groin and even sometimes in my toes.
0: So I think that's a whole different question. I don't think it's got anything to do with the vagus nerve. Okay.
1: All right. Good to know.
0: Obviously, your rectum is in the pelvis. The pelvis is, is a big bony structure, but it has lots of holes in it. So, there are various nerves that course through your pelvis. So, for example, the sciatic nerve comes out the back of your pelvis, sort of the one that people complain about when they get sciatica, and you supply sensation to your lower limb. And then you have the pudendal nerve that comes out at the front of the pelvis, and that supplies sensation to the skin between your anus and your penis, sensation around your penis. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine if you're putting a big thing in your, in your rectum, you then press against these nerves and just as if you sit with your legs crossed for a long time and then try and stand up and your leg just goes all weird. I think it's just exactly the same thing happening to those nerves in your pelvis. It's just a simple pressure effect.
1: Would you say it's not dangerous if you're using a plug that's, say, nice and soft?
0: Yeah. Would you want to squash a nerve for, for hours and hours and hours on end? Well, probably no. That's a bad idea. Is there any long-term effect from, you know, when you sap your legs crossed for a long time, and then you get that sort of pins and needles in your foot? Well, no, there isn't. No, in the, in the short term, I don't think there's any effect.
1: Is there anything you know of when playing, especially wide, that uh, could actually be quite dangerous?
0: Well, I think, again, the, the wider you get, the more likely you are to get an injury, aren't you? you yeah. The more that you are to tear things, by, mm. be that on the inside or on the outside. Mm-hmm. And that is the obvious real danger. In terms of how wide you can get, well, that's going to be limited by your bone structure, by how well you've trained your whole, all the rest of it.
1: Do you have any horror stories that you've uh, heard from colleagues or
0: experienced yourself? Uh, I'm going to refrain from answering that (laughs) one. Very good. (laughs) Yeah. Understood. I think a lot of these stories are quite, quite unique. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to run the risk of someone working out who has been talked about. Yeah,
1: that makes a lot of sense. Well then we will leave our listeners with the knowledge that yes there are horror stories, lots of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for being uh, on the show today with us, Mr. Doctor. I found it to be very helpful myself and uh, and I'm sure our listeners will also uh, experience some clarity from what you've had to tell us.
0: It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Such fun. Such fun. Such fun.
1: Such fun.